Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Ephesians chapter 3, we actually are going to finish, Lord willing, chapter 3 tonight. So that's success, 21 weeks in the making, uh, and then we have three chapters left. So very good. All right, identity in Christ. Again, this is discovering who we are in Christ. Uh, I've got this in your notes, so we'll just kind of start right in with it. Uh, remember, we'll never understand who we are in Christ until we understand who God is and what He's done for us. Yes, thank you very much. Um, and as we get to chapter 3 here in Ephesians, this is Paul's prayer. And really this prayer, I know we said it started back in verse number 1 when Paul says, For this cause or uh, I pray, or sorry, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, for you Gentiles. And then he, he goes in the next several verses, the next 10, 11 verses, and kind of not necessarily gets sidetracked, but he wants him to understand some important things. But back in chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, was really the first part of his prayer. So as he's writing this letter to the Ephesians there at the church at Ephesus, he's praying for them as he's writing this letter, and this is very important. And, and really what we see here is a, a powerful prayer for a healthy soul as we kind of started looking at this last week. So let's go ahead and start in verse number 14. Follow along, if you would, in your Bibles, and we'll go all the way to verse number 21. For this cause, again, he's saying that again after he started in verse number 1. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. We talked about that last week, and we'll review here quickly in just a minute. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight for the next few minutes as we study your word. And again, trying to discover what Paul is giving to the church at Ephesus and really the application that we can make in our own Christian life. And Lord, I've thoroughly enjoyed this study as again, we're trying to understand that our identity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in our jobs, it's not in our name, it's not in our riches, it's not in anything else of this world. If we're truly saved, if we're truly a child of God, our identity should be staked and fastened in you. And that's what Paul gives us these principles in chapter one and two and closes out in chapter three. And, and Lord, I pray, just you help us for the next few minutes as we study your word that you'd uh, eliminate the distractions, and I pray that you just help us to focus on you and you alone. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Again, he's continuing this prayer. And, and as he says, for this cause I bow my knee. And this is very important as we looked at last week. Because in the Jewish culture, they didn't bow during their prayers. A lot of times they stood up or even sat down. So what he's doing is he's showing his radical dependence upon Jesus Christ as his Lord, as his sovereign, as his king. And as we looked at verse 16 last week by way of review, 
He says that he would grant you, again, this is his prayer, that he, Jesus Christ, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by the spirit of the inner man. So this first point, this first principle is this. Paul is praying that our spirit be strengthened internally. Let your spirit be strengthened internally. This word strengthen means to be made strong, tough, enduring. It means to have energy or force, to act, to endure, to resist. Now there are very important principles in understanding the spirit that dwells within the believers, the Holy Spirit. And we looked a little bit about that in chapter one when we talked about how we're sealed with the spirit and there's so many things that happen the day we get saved, when Christ comes into our lives. And the two things that we looked at last week specifically is there is an indwelling of the spirit or the spirit indwells within the believers and there is an empowering of the spirit. The spirit empowers us to go forth to share the gospel, to to be obedient to Christ. So he's helping us. And again, Paul is urging, encouraging, pleading, begging, praying that the spirit of the inner man, that, that core of who you are, would be strengthened so that you could be the person that God wants you to be. And I love that phrase, according to the riches of his glory. Everything that God gives us is not out of his riches, it's according to his riches because he has a, a wealth of riches for us. And this inner man, again, it's the deepest part of our being. It's our soul, our heart, our spirit. It's very important that we are strengthened internally because it's the only way that we can overcome the flesh with all the weaknesses that we have. It helps us to avoid temptations and sins, troubles and trials, disease and suffering, grief and death, selfishness, worldliness, problems and circumstances. Look, if you want a healthy soul, then it has to start with the Holy Spirit strengthening you internally. And the verse I gave last week concerning this was Isaiah 40, 29. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. This isn't necessarily a physical strength. This is a spiritual strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So Paul is praying that God would strengthen our inner man, renew our inner man. Let me ask you a couple questions tonight before we really dig into the next several principles in this lesson. What is it about our culture? What is it about our schedule that threatens the health of our souls? What I mean, I guess, is this. What comes against you that weakens, depresses, discourages, diminishes you? Or I guess a simple way to put this is, what diminishes your inner man? What's that struggle that you have that really just beats you down? Anyone want to share anything tonight? Go ahead, Amanda, first. When your plans get messed up, yeah? Temptations. Temptations. Temptations of the world, yeah. Really, just temptations in general. What else? What are some things that really just discourage you and, and you know, fights you down with that inner man and diminishes that inner man? Yeah. Christina? Oh, it's Venetia. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you missed that. Carrie called her Christina earlier. So anyway. Uh, no control over the situation. No control over the situation. Yeah, that's, that's something I, I struggle with greatly. Marcus? I, I think uh, other individuals bring a certain personality or something off on you. Yeah. Decreases. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. It's very important to make sure we have good company that doesn't corrupt us. 
Um, anyone else? What are some things that maybe diminish your inner man? Got something? Your sister. She's honest. I, I like it. I like it. I appreciate it. <laughs> that was funny. Don't say your husband. Let's not let this person talk again. Yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> you know, we, we live in a world that tells us how to be happy, right? But just because they tell us how to be happy, does that make us happy? No, not at all, right? You know, they tell us how to be happy, but the problem is you're happy until, right? Until you see something better. You know, uh, just kind of thinking about this in a joking fashion, you know, until you get on Pinterest and see all these backyard designs of a pool and a putting green combination, then you're like, I need that to be happy. <laughs> or, you know, you get on Amazon and you're like, you have to shop because you need more boxes or Poshmark, or Zulily, or go to Magnolia. Have I hit them all? I have spasms tonight. I don't know what's going on. Over and back, over and back, over and back. But, uh, but isn't, isn't that the reality, though? We're happy until something else, until we see something else, and then, oh, now I need this to make me happy, right? I need, to, I need a new kitchen, I need a new house, I need a new uh, boat, I need a new car, I need new clothes, I need new friends that actually know my name. I need a lot of new things, right? Amen, amen. <laughs> that was good, we're not gonna let that one live or die or whatever. But the thing is, the world and the things of the world are not gonna make us happy. They're not going to strengthen our inner man, they're not gonna strengthen our soul. But we try so often, instead of living for God and doing what he desires of us, living for the things of this world. And we wonder why we're always looking for that next thing of happiness. When Jesus Christ, as we looked in Philippians, produces true joy, everlasting joy, joy that's abundant. And let me ask this question, kind of goes a little step further. You know, there's a lot of things that diminish our inner man. What helps you improve your inner man? And I'm talking like specifically tonight. What are some things that you've done to improve your inner man, to improve that soul, to, to make sure that you're doing what God wants you to do? What are some things? And some of these are very common, but what are some things that you've done? Really, Ken? A lot, a lot of prayer, yes. I think he was praying a lot, even when he was in that accident, and definitely, you know, God interceded on his behalf, and we're, we're thankful for that. I told him his guardian angels have been working overtime, so they need a break. <laughs> I need a couple weeks off, but yeah, exactly. Prayer. What else? What are some things that help you strengthen that inner man? Yeah. Correcting what you did wrong. Asking Jesus to forgive you. Yep. Not going to trust this kid. Um, yes. Podcast. Yeah, that helps you. Just anyone like Disney or sports or. Oh, okay, okay. Everyday truth. Yeah. Gospel-centered, gospel-centered podcast, yes. Making sure we're feeding our inner man with truths of God's word. Yes? I find singing. Singing? I thought you said singing. I was like, what is singing? Okay. That's what I thought, yeah? Yeah. Southern Texas, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, no. Music, good, good Christian music can help strengthen that inner man. Uh, sometimes, you know, it makes you just want to, you know, shout or, you know, shout at someone else. I don't know what it, what it does for some people. But let me ask this question. Is it, is it possible to overcome our weaknesses of our flesh with our own strength? No. Then why so often do we seemingly try to overcome our weaknesses of our flesh in our own strength? 
because we think we have a better way. Pride. Anyone else have something? Yeah. We think the problem's more outside than inside. Yeah, I, that's, I think that's very fitting. That's very true. A lot of times it's very easy for us to look outward and think, they're the problem, right? When a lot of times what needs to change is not everyone else, but ourselves. And it's always understanding that we can all get better, right, in our relationship with Christ. None of us have arrived. Has anyone arrived here tonight? If you have, then you definitely should be up here preaching. But none of us have arrived, and I know it's a little sarcastic with that, but none of us have arrived, so it's very important to not be reliant on our own strength. But we have supernatural strength available to us. God, through his Son, Jesus Christ, has given us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us internally, to help us do what we're supposed to do. And Paul continues this thought, not just strengthening our inner man, not just having this healthy soul, but let's continue in verse number 17. Look what he says. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. This is all about our love for Christ. You know what the Lord desires? He desires a deeper relationship with us. Again, think of your own relationships that you have in your life. How do you strengthen a personal relationship? I'm not talking about your relationship with the Lord, but how do you strengthen a personal relationship? Anyone? Talking to someone? What? Spending time with them? How else? Thinking about their feelings? Yes, those are good things. How do we strengthen our relationship with Christ? What? Yeah, many of the same, right? Really spending time with Him, getting to know them at a much better and deeper level. And really, this verse and really what Paul is praying, he wants us to be so into Christ that we're thinking about Christ and we're living everything for Christ. So look what he says. Let Jesus' love ground you deeply. That's the point I want to look at tonight. Let Jesus' love ground you deeply. There's three words I want you to take note of in this verse. And I want you to circle them, highlight them, underline them, do whatever you need to. But it's the word dwell, rooted, and grounded. Dwell, rooted, and grounded. You know, Paul's desire is the same desire that God has for us. He desired that this church is at Ephesus, these believers, these Christians, have a deeper relationship with Jesus. He wasn't interested in surface-level Christianity. What do you think I mean by that statement, surface-level Christianity? Anyone? Kind of attending church and that's it? Yeah. Basically having a knowledge of God. Really, who in here doesn't have a knowledge of God? I think if you're in church, you have a knowledge of God. But just because you have a knowledge of God, does that mean you're living for God? No. You have to be deeply rooted, grounded, anchored. You have to understand who God is, what he's done for you. Because as we said at the very beginning, that helps us understand our identity. Our identity is staked in Jesus Christ when we know God, when we understand who he is and what he has done for us. But that first word, dwell, this means to settle down and feel at home. It gives the idea of a permanent dwelling versus a temporary dwelling. So when Jesus Christ has sent his spirit into the world, the Holy Spirit, and he comes to indwell within the hearts of believers, those that have trusted Christ as our Savior, does the Holy Spirit have a temporary residence or a permanent residence within you? A permanent if you're saved, the Holy Spirit has a permanent residence within you, right? Permanent means what? He's there forever, right? 
uh, you know, most of you that have a house, it's a, hopefully a permanent residence. And what I mean by that, you're not living in a tent. Some people might. A tent is more of a temporary thing. It's something you can easily pack up, right? You, when you want a house, you want something that's, that's staked, that's rooted, that's, that's permanent. So if the Holy Spirit has permanent residence in our heart, in our life, why do we often treat him like he only has temporary residence? He's come inside of us to live inside of us, to dwell inside of us, to, to help us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. This power from on high, this limitless power that we're going to look at a little bit later here in the message tonight that we've already hit on the past several weeks, really, this limitless power of God is available to us, but instead of tapping into the power source, we kind of use it whenever we feel like it. This second word, rooted, this kind of moves to the plant world. A tree must get its roots deep into the surface, in the soil, if it, has, if, it, if, if it is to have nourishment and stability that it needs. Look, if there is to be power in the Christian life, then there must be depth in your life, in your Christian life. And what I mean by that, what, what's the, all right, let's, let's say it this way. What's the theme for this year? Anybody know what the theme for this year is? Thrive. Thrive. Very good. You guys have gotten something good. Thrive. It's up there almost like every day or every time we have services. Thrive. Hey, there it is. It's understanding that you were made for more. And really, one of the main purposes of this series, this theme for the year, is about digging deep and reaching out. It's about digging deep in God's word, understanding God. How many people feel like since you've come here, you've gotten more of a grounded knowledge of Jesus Christ? Your relationship with Christ has grown. I hope everyone that has come has, and if you haven't, then I don't know. Maybe you need to talk to the others that have grown. But there has to be depth in the Christian life. What I mean by that is your root system must go deeper and deeper into the love of Christ, understanding who he is, understanding what his love has done for us. And I'm going to hit on that here a little bit later in just a minute. But then this third word, this third term, grounded, it's an architectural term. It refers to the foundations on which we build. I think many of us realize the importance of a deep foundation, especially if you're building a house. You're not going to dig like two feet and that's it, right? Brother Ron, did you ever do that in some of the houses you built? I don't want to know. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. You didn't do that. There's no way. How deep was the deepest one you, you dug into? Four foot? I mean, you're, you're going to go fairly deep, though, because you want it anchored, right? You want it secured. And you think of some of those uh, skyscrapers in Dallas or Fort Worth or New York City or whatever. The, the foundation isn't probably two feet or four feet, is it? It's pretty deep. And I've heard with some of them, as tall as the building is, that's how deep it is, too. So think of your own Christian life. There are going to be storms that come, are there not? Anybody ever gone through storms? Anyone gone through storms this year? Yeah. Stephanie, gone through anything? Yeah, just, just, just a little bit, right? All of us have. All of us go through storms and trials. You know what happens if something is not anchored down in a, in a, in a storm? It's going to blow away. What happens in the Christian realm, in, the, in our Christian faith, when we're not anchored? When the storm comes, what happens to us? Just blown away, right? We crash, we fall, and then that's why a lot of times people leave church, they, they get mad at God, because they're not anchored, they're not rooted, they're not deep. So when the storms come, how do you expect to withstand the, the pressure? You can't. 
You can't withstand the pressure, and it's very easy to look at other people and like, well, they just, they're just better at it than me. No, the reason they've withstood their trials is because they've rooted themselves deep. They have an understanding of who Jesus is, of, of what his love is about. Look, understand that everything in your life is volatile, except for one thing, and that's the love of Jesus Christ. He is your anchor to your soul. Look, think about how hard we have to work to build security and hold on to stability. Too many Christians are building their foundations based on their performance. But let me ask this question. What will a performance-based Christianity give you? Nothing. Now let's cross-reference that to a rooted and grounded Christian life. What are some qualities that you think you'd have in a rooted Christian life versus a performance-based Christian life? Anyone? Kind of a tough question, but what qualities do you think you might have in your life, characteristics, if you're rooted in Jesus Christ and his love, have a strong foundation versus something that's just performance-based? Anyone? Bend and don't break. Bend and don't break? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good principle. Anything else? What? More balanced? Yeah. Anyone else? Joy? Joy? Yeah. I mean, we can start listing off a lot of the fruits of the Spirit, yeah? A deeper, faith. a deeper faith. Exactly, there's a lot of things that we can talk about. I love this, this quote, read it today from John Stott. He says, love is to be the soil in which their life is to be rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which your life should be built. And what he's talking about is the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something. Understanding your identity has everything to do with understanding the significance of God's love for us. Let me say that again. Understanding your identity has everything to do with understanding the significance of God's love for us. Do you truly realize how much God loves you? Here's what I mean. When you, when you love someone and when you know that they love you, Aren't you willing to do anything for them? Amen. Yeah, you are. You're willing to do anything for them. You're willing to bend heaven and earth for them if you can. There's nothing that's going to stand in your way because you love that person. They love you. If Christ loves us with an everlasting love, what does it say about our love to him when we're not willing to do simple things for him? Look, we all say, I love God. That's why we're in church, right? But all it does, and I'm, I'm talking as much to myself as anyone, all it does is it shows me that my love for Christ isn't grounded as it should be when I'm not willing to do whatever God wants me to do and whatever he asked me to do. Again, we've talked about this, and, and I'm not saying it's, it's, it's necessarily something that is happening, but what if God were to ask you to sell everything you had and move to a place like Austin or somewhere else? What if God were asking you to do that? Oh, I just can't do it. I've got my roots staked here. Well, all you're doing is saying that your love is not staked in Christ. It's staked in what? Everything else. The world. So again, this... This is deep. I understand this is deep. This is, that's what Paul is addressing here in these first three chapters. It's very theological, but then he gives the practical side of it, chapters four through six, which is I'm, I'm excited about. But look, again, this is part of our identity. You know, we hit on that in chapter one and two. You know, we're blessed, we're chosen, accepted, adopted, forgiven, redeemed, sealed, but we're also loved. 
And I'm thankful that I am loved, not just by my wife and my kids, I'm loved by my Heavenly Father. So are you motivated by God's love for you? Or are we motivated by our love for Him? There's a difference between the two. Look, I am defined by my relationship with Jesus Christ because He's the one that's anchored me and rooted me and grounded me. There are some people here tonight, and I've struggled with this in my life. You can ask my wife. That have a low self-esteem. I don't want you to raise your hand on this, but I think there's many of us that have a low self-esteem, that struggle with that. I've struggled with that a lot in my life. We're extremely hard on ourselves. We're perpetually discouraged by how we're performing or how we're measuring up to someone else. We're incessantly comparative of ourselves. You know, so many people have this thought of, I can never do enough, I can never be enough, I can never perform enough. But are you supposed to perform? You're just supposed to be who God wants you to be. Look, I can never do enough on my own. But through Christ, I can be who he wants me to be. And I'm thankful that I have a Savior that loves me and accepts me and wants to work in and through me. And if you're saved, you have a Savior that loves you, accepts you, wants to work in and through you. So understand that. Again, our theme for the year is thrive. Understanding we are made for more about digging deep, reaching out. If there is to be power in the Christian life, there must be depth. The roots must go deeper and deeper into the love of Christ. Let me ask a very challenging question tonight. Is there anything God cannot do? Good job. No, there's nothing he can't do. And his power is limitless, much like his grace and much like his love for us, which means there's no end. I want you to think about this. I have it in your notes. If you loved Christ the way that he loves you, then there would be no limits to what you would do for him and give to him. Let me say that again. I want that to set in tonight. If you truly loved Christ the way that he loves you, there would be no limit to what you would do for him and give to him. And I'm not even talking about financial things. I'm talking about just life in general. You know, it's very easy for us to think, well, it's someone else's job. You know, we have a missionary family here tonight that was here a couple weeks ago. It's very easy for us to think, man, it's, it's their job. God has called them, but hasn't God called all of us to serve him, to love him, to obey him? And we might not go to another country, but are we willing to because of our love for him? That's what it comes down to, church. And really, that's, you know, that's why I'm sorry about the discipleship stuff, but again, it's, it's more than just teaching and teaching and teaching. It has to go from more than just teaching and listening to actually applying and living it out. So if you love Christ the way that he loves you, then there would be no limit to what you would do for him and give to him. So let me ask this question, and I don't want you to answer it. Where's your limit? Again, I don't want to answer, but where's your limit? Well, I'll only do this, God. But I've given you everything. <laughs> I've given you my son. But I'll only go here, Lord. Where's your limit? 
So Paul's prayer, look, this is a passionate prayer. He wants them to be deeply rooted in the love of Christ. You know, there are a lot of things that can replace our love for Christ. But your love for Christ will not be replaced when you've been rooted and grounded in Him. But are we truly rooted and grounded in Him? It's more than just coming. It's, it's, it, look, it's important to come. You have to come, and I, I want you to come, and I encourage you to come. But it's more than that. You know, you, have made, you may have made it through trials that have shaken you in the past. All I've learned in my own life is that the fact that when I've made it through trials, I was anchored, but then I realized that I needed to be anchored more and deeper because the trials are going to come sometimes harder and faster. So just because I made it through one trial doesn't mean I'm going to make it through the next trial. I have to dig in deeper. I have to reach deeper into God's love and understanding who he is and what he has done for me. So if there's no limit to God's love for us, what's our limit for his love, for our love for him? So the second thing is this, let Jesus' love ground you deeply. Third, as we move on, verse number 18 through 20, let Jesus' power work in you abundantly. Let Jesus' power work in you abundantly. Verse 18, uh, there it is. May be able to comprehend with all the saints. Who are the saints? No, it's the New Orleans football team. Yes, it's us. Yes, us. Very good. Anyway, it's like three of you got that. Uh, may be able to comprehend with all saints, talking about the Christians, children of God, what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ. Again, this thought of loving Christ and this love of Christ. He wants us to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Let Jesus' power work in you abundantly. In verse 18, the word comprehend also could be uh, deemed the word apprehend, which both stem from the Latin word uh, prehendere, which means to grasp. So what Paul is saying, I want you to grasp this love for Christ, and I want you to grasp all the riches of his love and what it entails for you. He is praying that believers would grasp just how much God has done for us. His concern was that we lay hold of the vast expenses of this love that God has and the full dimensions of it. The height, the breadth, the depth of God's love are huge. They're overwhelming. His love reaches up, it reaches down, it reaches out, it reaches in. His love cannot be measured, and that's what Paul is addressing here. Some commentators, now some differ on this, but some believe that you know, the dimensions are almost, in a sense, signifying the cross. Because the cross reaches up, does it not? Cross reaches down and the cross reaches out. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but the point of what Paul is saying and what Paul is praying is that the dimensions of God's love are just astounding, overwhelming. They reach out as far as you can reach. They reach up as far as you can reach. They reach down as far as it can reach. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind. And that's important because, remember back in chapter 2, where Paul said that wall of hostility, that dividing wall is gone? And all of us that are here tonight should be thankful for that because unless you're a Jew, you're a Gentile, which means you now have the ability to come to Christ. So God's love is broad enough to encompass all mankind, Jew and Gentile. It's long enough to last for all of eternity. It doesn't stop at a certain time. It's long enough. 
It's deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and it's high enough to exalt him to heaven. How satisfied are we with our love for Christ? You know, sadly, in my own life, I'm not satisfied enough, and here's what I mean. Because my love at times can be very selfish. I'm just throwing myself out there. My love at times can be very selfish and self-serving. What I mean is my love is based on what God can do for me and not what I can do for him. God, you need to do this for me because you love me. But what am I doing for him because I love him? Now, he does do things for me because of his love. And his love is overwhelming, and, and that's Paul's prayer. I want you to know the love of Christ. And I know it, it passes all knowledge, and it's, it's hard to even comprehend and grasp all of that, that love entails. But it's an amazing thing when you grasp it because you're going to be willing to do anything and everything for Jesus Christ. Look, get this down. The love of Christ for us is as unknowable as his riches are unsearchable. We talked about that, I think, back in chapter one or chapter two, where, or it might have been uh, verse number eight, where the unsearchable riches of Christ, you can't even search out all the riches because there's so, so much wealth. Same thing is true with his love. We can't even know all about his love. We are so rich in Christ that our riches cannot be calculated even with the most sophisticated, sophisticated computer and calculator. And when I was thinking about this this afternoon, my mind couldn't help but go to Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through uh, 39. I want to read a couple of these verses tonight quickly, where it says, Paul is addressing the church at Rome here, and it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? So what he's saying is, is there anything that can truly separate us from God's love? What if everything was taken away from you? Will God's love be taken away from you? He continues on. Verse 37, nay, no, in all these we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you should be excited about that. That there is nothing in this world that can separate you from God's love. Whew, that's good. Amen, whoopee. Brother Don can do it. You guys can do it. Come on. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, all right, whatever. Yes, we'll work on that. Next week, next week. But it should excite you. It should excite you that nothing, nothing, nothing in this world will separate us from God's love. I love that verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature to be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, I think when we understand the depth, the width, the height, the length of someone's love for us, it makes sense why they do what they do. When you fully understand and comprehend the depth of Christ's love for us, it should lead us to contemplate the depth of our love for him. So again, a good question to ask is this, are you satisfied with your love for Christ? And really, none of us in here should be satisfied. We should always be striving to know his love more, to understand him more. To understand that we were made for more than our ordinary, simple lives. We were made for him. 
for his glory, for his honor. We continue on, verse number 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all fullness of God. That phrase, to be filled, is very important, and this is simple to understand. There's an application or illustration I was going to use, and I forgot the stuff tonight, honestly, but imagine if we have a glass of water and it's half full. Now, some might say, well, it's half full. Some might say it's half empty. It's all about perspective. But there's a lot of Christians that are content with being half full or half empty in their Christian life. When God's limitless power is wanting to just fill you up. And what happens when you fill up a cup of water and you keep pouring into that cup? What's going to happen? It's going to run out. It's going to overflow. That's what Christ's love should be in our lives. It should just be so much a part of us that it's overflowing in our lives. But is it? Is it truly overflowing? Does the world know that we are saved, that we are a child of God? Can they see his love pouring out to them? If not, then obviously we're probably half full or half empty. And we're content with that. God has unlimited power. With unlimited power, he wants to fill us up with his power so that everything that is coming out of us is God and not ourselves. So here's a question. What are you full of? If you're not full of him, what are you full of? And I want you to answer. I want you to answer in your own heart. What are you full of if you're not full of him? And it could be an array of subjects, right? It could be a lot of different things. But aren't we supposed to be full of him? But how often are we full of ourselves? How often are we full of a relationship? Are we full of this? Are we full of that? Instead of full of Christ. Instead of full of his love, his knowledge. And that's what Paul is praying here. I want you to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Excuse me. that he might be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about this. How big is God? How powerful is God? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He has unlimited power. Warren Wiersbe states, the means of our fullness is the Holy Spirit. The measure of our fullness is God himself. I like this. He says, It is tragic when Christians use the wrong measurement in examining their own spiritual lives. We like to measure ourselves by the weakest Christians that we know and then boast, well, I'm better than they are. But Paul tells us that the measure is not another individual. Who is the measure? Christ. And that we cannot boast about anything, nor should we. When we have reached his fullness then we have reached the limit. But since there is no limit to his fullness, will we ever reach that? No. That's why it's so important to be pouring more in of Jesus Christ and letting his spirit fill us up and fill us up and fill us up. Why is Paul praying for all of this? What if you found out today, tomorrow, next week, that you had some kind of incurable disease? What if you lose your house What if you lose your job? Will it devastate you and will your world come crashing down? What if everything about you was taken away? Now, God forbid this would happen. 
But what if you lose your job, your home, your abilities, your strength, your family? Is Jesus Christ truly enough for you? And I don't expect you to answer it. All of us would say, yeah, yeah, he's true. He's, he's, he's enough. But is he? If everything were taken away, and it goes to identity, but if everything were taken away, who are you at your core? If you're saved, you're a child of God, right? And that should be enough. But is it? No, because I need my job. Because that brings money. I, I need my family. And again, God forbid anything would happen to our family. But I need my family. Uh, I need my home. I need my stability. You know what? I cannot bring stability in my own life. Did you know that? Because I'm not all powerful. I can try and try and try, but my stability is volatile. <laughs> But if I anchor myself and root myself and ground myself in Jesus Christ and his love, I will be stable. Look, he is your identity, should be your identity. If you're saved, if you're not, then he's not your identity. And this is the why of Paul's prayer. He wants their inner man to be strengthened, rooted, grounded so much by the limitless power of God's love. Again, Paul wants them to go beyond that surface level Christianity. More than just a knowledge of God, he wants them to have a full understanding of spiritual things. Not for pride's sake. Hey, I know a lot about the Bible. Being filled with God will not make you a proud person. It will make you a very humble person. Amen. So I think, again, and I look at my own life, when I'm very prideful, and when my pride is coming out, it's showing that I'm full of Chris Thorne and not full of Jesus Christ. And the same is true for any of us. Again, it's not about just growing up, getting as tall as we can be. And, and what I mean by that is that's almost a surface level because sometimes people on the surface, on the outside, they look like they have it all together, right? Anybody known any Christians like that? that and on the outside, they look like they have it all together. But just because you look the part doesn't mean you are. I want you to understand that. We have to be cautious of people like that. Man looks on the outward, right? David talks about that in 1 Samuel. But what does God look at? The heart, the inner man. He's concerned with who you are on the inside. Are you so possessed by the love of Christ or are you more possessed by your own, the own American dream? Do you own your stuff or does your stuff own you? Look, life is fragile, it's temporal. But God in his love and his power is solid, it's secure, it's the only thing that gives us stability. So don't anchor your heart, your hope, to things that will change. Anchor it into something that will never change. You know, the power of God is much like grace as we've been starting to talk about on Sundays. It's limitless. There's a limitless power to God's love for us. So if we're striving to be like him, what does our love look like? Let's continue on as we close this out. Verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Again, this power, this dynamite, this dunamis is, is in the Greek. Paul seemed to want to use every word possible to help convey this vastness of God's limited power or limitless power that's only found in Jesus Christ. He ended the previous two chapters, chapter one and chapter two, with praise to God for his great victory in Christ. He told us that Christ's power is so great he arose from the dead and ascended far above all. I talked about that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 
In chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, he taught us that his power is so great that it reconciled Jews and Gentiles together and to God and that he is now building a temple to his eternal glory of God in the individual believers. But in this paragraph ahead of us, in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, Paul is sharing the exciting truth of this, that God's love, God's power, is far above all power available to us. It's even above all that we ask or think. In other words, the power of Christ, like the love of Christ, is beyond human understanding or measurement. And this is the kind of power that we need to thrive and walk in victory. It's exceeding abundantly above all. There are no words that really Paul could use to describe the power of Christ and everything that Christ has and can give us. It's far greater than anything you can imagine. You imagine it, it's better than that. <laughs> it's like in my own mind, there, there's been times where I've, I've imagined something or I was getting ready to visit a place and I, I think I've used this illustration before. When I was a kid in second grade, I had an opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon for the first time and, and in my mind, it was before you know Google and the internet. I mean, the internet was probably around back then, but I'm not that old. But anyway, uh, didn't really have access to all that stuff, so I, I never knew what it looked like. I might have seen a picture, but my mind was truly blown when I saw the vastness, the amazingness, and I, I can't even put it in words, of the Grand Canyon. And if you've been there, I think you kind of understand what I'm talking about or any place. And that's, that's how it is with God's love. His power is, is limitless. We can't even comprehend it. We can't even explain it. And then finally, let's look at this. Verse number 21, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Let Jesus glory compel you eternally. Many Christians have cut themselves off from God's power. We do this with unconfessed sins, careless living, worldliness and action or attitude because we're gonna live however we want, do whatever we want, whenever we want, we don't really care. It's our life. It doesn't really matter. So all we've done is we've cut ourselves off from the power of God. And you wonder why you're struggling. And you wonder why your life is a mess. Because you're not tapping into the true power source. You're tapping into your own power source, which is very limited. Very limited at best. And so many Christians are robbing themselves of unlimited power and being truly used of God because they're more concerned with things that are temporal, things that are gonna pass away instead of things that are eternal. And that's Paul's final prayer here. I want Jesus' glory to compel you eternally. Why does God share his power with us? Is it so we can build churches for our own glory? Is it so we can build our Christian life for our own glory? Hey, look at me, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished. I'm the greatest Christian in the world. Is that why he's given us his glory? No, it's for him. It's for his purposes. To him be glory in the church. This church is not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. This church is not about you, it's about Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God was given to glorify the Son of God, John 16, 14. The church on earth is here to glorify the Son of God. Our lives are meant to glorify God. So do our lives glorify God in all that we do and say? Are we allowing Jesus' glory to compel us to live eternally? To realize that there is something far greater waiting for us and we need to do everything on this earth living for God now, bringing honor and glory to him. Get this down. The power of the Spirit is not a luxury. 
It's a necessity. It's not a luxury that we can do without. It's a necessity. We need God's power. We need his spirit. We need his love wrapping us up. Can you see a root system of a tree with the naked eye? No. Now, if you start digging deep and if you had tools and instruments, you probably could, but the same is true in our own Christian life. I can't see your root system. Only Jesus can, but he knows if it's there or not. He knows if you've truly rooted and grounded deep into his love. Look, by coming and serving and giving and growing, we're cultivating our own root system in Christ. Don't compare your own root system to someone else because we're all at different phases on our journey. And it's very easy to live in a very comparative-based society where we're always comparing and that's where that, you know, having that low self-esteem, well, I'm not performing like this person, I'm not doing like this person's doing, who cares? Be who God wants you to be. And again, I've struggled with this greatly in my life and, and sometimes I still struggle with the low self-esteem. But I, start, I struggle with it and it really becomes down to this. I struggle with my identity because I don't know who I truly am. I'm not living for someone else, I'm supposed to be living for God, to bring him glory, to bring him honor. And when I understand that, I won't have a low self-esteem because I'll know that I am loved, I am accepted, I am chosen, I am adopted, I am redeemed, I am forgiven, I am sealed. Can I go on, right? That's who we are. Look, all of us have impossible situations in our life. I want you to take that impossible situation, ask God for a solution. Look, you don't have to say, God, here's how you need to work this out. You know what you should do? God, I'm giving this to you. And I believe that your limitless power, love, grace, mercy, compassion, will figure out the answer. We'll figure out the solution. But how many times we give our problems to God and our God, here's the solution, I'm giving it to you. I'm just trying to help you and just in case you're busy today. But we do that. We're offering God these solutions because we think we know what's best. Oh, man. Ask God for the impossible. We don't even have to be able to imagine a solution to our impossible situation, but God can do more than all that we ask or imagine. And here's the core truth, the end of this message, the end of this lesson, the end of this series in Ephesians 1 through 3. As Paul is praying this final prayer before he transitioned, into the application part, and we'll start that probably in a couple weeks. Let your inner man be strengthened internally so that Jesus' power can work in you abundantly and allow his glory to compel you eternally.